My name is Ike Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors at Hope Denver. Uh, in heat like this, a pastor should speak quickly, right? You guys okay with that? I'm, I'll go as fast as I can tonight. Uh, but if you're new to Hope Denver, if you're uh, joining us on Facebook Live or if you're listening to the podcast, I'd like to say welcome to you especially. Uh, you can fill out a connect card at hopedenver.com. You can also find out about Hope Groups, gatherings that meet throughout the city during the week. Um, and we have, uh, you know, all over town, people getting together and, and sharing a beer, uh, sharing, sharing uh, just some time together to connect and uh, get to know each other more. And if you are a part of Hope Denver, if this is your, your home church uh, and you brought a gift, you brought a tithe or an offering, there is a, a box here that you can give or online at uh, hopedenver.com slash give. Um, let's uh, open our Bibles tonight to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. If you're new to the Bible, you can always go there online. There's a number of Bibles online and in the App Store. Um, and Hebrews is towards the end of the Bible. Uh, so you can kind of get towards the back there. Uh, it's one of the last, the last books in the Bible, Hebrews is. So Hebrews chapter 10. We're starting a new series tonight called Overcoming the Chaos. Overcoming the Chaos. Does, does your life feel chaotic to you right now? Does the world feel a little chaotic right now? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I see that. I see that, uh, uh, that prayer hanky or whatever that was. Um, throughout the series, we're going to talk about what it means to be one of God's people who doesn't respond to chaos with fear, but responds to the chaos with faith. And we can be people that because we have God's spirit living on us, we don't have to shrink back. We don't have to be afraid. We can actually stand in, and in God's Holy Spirit, we can have confidence in him. Um, and if you look at the world around you, though, you're going to see craziness everywhere. You'll see, you'll see uh, uh, upheaval all over the place. And you, you, we're living through this right now. Um, you see uh, an economic downturn, uh, human rights violations, and, and suppression of democratic freedoms in China. Uh, you see the 2020 election. Oh, good grief. A global pandemic. Uh, schools are closed. And it's unclear how long this is all going to last. Peggy Noonan of the Wall Street Journal this weekend uh, in an op-ed, she talked about how people are trying to enjoy the summer. Have you guys been trying to enjoy the summer? Uh, they're trying to take like little vacations if they can. Uh, they're trying to get away and do something fun. Uh, and she said that, you know, as people are trying to have a good time and trying to make it through the summer, um, people are trying to have conversations with one another. And she said they quickly go like this. She said, in our conversations, it's a salient fact that the summer of 2020, uh, that everything goes from beautiful day to how you doing to I'm so worried. And it happens that fast. My guess is that if each of us had a chance to voice all of our worries together, we'd be here enough to actually miss work tomorrow morning, which maybe wouldn't be such a bad thing. <laughs> We all have plenty of worries, but today I want to encourage you. That's why I'm here. I want to encourage you. Followers of Jesus are not the kind of people who are destroyed by our worries. Amen? Is that true? We're not destroyed by these worries. We're not controlled by our fears, and we're not beaten down by the chaos of this life. Now, I say this in faith because I, I know that many of you do feel beaten down, and you do feel overwhelmed by fear. But we're not the kind of people who are ultimately destroyed by our fears and our worries. See, Jesus meets us right in the middle of chaos. This is where God meets us. He comes right into the chaos of life to bring us hope. He comes right into the, the middle of the difficulties of our life to bring us an opportunity to come closer to him. We're not beaten down by the chaos of this life. The antidote to chaos is knowing Jesus. And through Jesus, 
we can have real joy. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. The focus is this. Chaos is an opportunity to meet Jesus. And the antidote to chaos is knowing Jesus. And this produces joy. Let's pray. Lord, we come to the Bible tonight with open hearts. And if you agree, uh, you can just say, yeah, God, my heart's open. God, maybe some of us, we've had concerns or worries or doubts in the past. And we know that you welcome everybody, wherever we are, if we're just willing to be open. So God, for, for me tonight, I'm open. And if you agree, just say, yeah, God, I'm open. You can say it quietly. You can just say it in your mind. Say, God, I'm open to hearing from you. Open the scriptures to us, Lord, and teach us your ways. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Chaos is an opportunity to meet Jesus. And the antidote to chaos is knowing Jesus, and this produces great joy. Let's look at the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 32, or sorry, chapter 10 and verse 32. And this is God's word. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you, so, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered, along with, uh, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. The writer of this book is, telling, is trying to encourage people uh, to remember when things have been chaotic in the past. He's saying, hey, remember in the past when things have been bad. And for them, this was when they were young in their faith. And he says, remember when you had received the light. The message of Christianity isn't like, hey, if you're really smart or really good, then you'll figure it out. What we do as followers of Jesus is we have received a gift. We don't think that we're so great. We don't think that we're so smart. We're grateful for having received a gift, and it's the gift of the light of Jesus. We've simply been, been willing to raise up empty hands of faith to God. And these people who were, who were listening to this letter being read, they had endured suffering because they were followers of Jesus. Some of them had likely endured an expulsion of the Jews from Rome under the emperor Nero. So during an expulsion like that, their property was taken from them. Some of them who tried to resist were thrown in prison. They had friendships that were broken because they, they, they belonged to Jesus. These people had experienced a lot of loss because they were followers of Jesus in the past. But what's amazing is that these people knew what it was to suffer, and the author assumes that they know what it's like to suffer with joy. He says, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. They knew what it was like to suffer with great joy. The thing that brings us joy in the middle of chaos is that we know that there is great reward in knowing Jesus. Is that true? There's great reward in knowing Jesus. What we have in Jesus is better than any wealth, better than any success or physical beauty, better than any relationship or recognition that somebody else could give us. What we have in Jesus is so much more beautiful than that. So these people are reminded, don't throw away your confidence, which is in Jesus. Don't throw away that confidence because you'll be rewarded even in the middle of the chaos. Often, the Bible tells you what to do um, not because God wants to control your behavior or ruin your fun, but because God knows that you will benefit from living according to God's wisdom. And so what he's saying, he's saying, put your confidence in God. 
Put your confidence in him. It's going to be better for you if you live this way. Don't throw away this confidence. You will be richly rewarded. And contrast that with the way of the world. See, the way of Jesus is putting your confidence in God, in his sufficiency, his righteousness. The way of the world is this, though. You should fight for what you want. But the way of Jesus is that God has already won the battle. Amen? The way of the world is that you should take what's yours. But the way of Jesus is for you to give it all away, and then God will bless you. It's a totally different way of life. The way of the world is to bring shame and derision on those with whom you disagree, you know, cancel culture. But the way of Jesus is that the meek inherit the earth. Those who have their power under control, they're the ones who inherit the earth. And you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The way of the world is to push away or push around your weight for political gain. But the way of Jesus is to call out the sinful misuse of power while trying to be a blessing to the country in which you live as a foreigner. That's the way of Jesus. Look at verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So he's telling them, persevere in your relationship with God. Even if it makes you feel ashamed around others, even if you're suffering in the middle of chaos, persevere in following Jesus. Don't give up in that. See, he predicates all of this on what Jesus has promised. Knowing Jesus means knowing what he's promised. And that's this, that Jesus has died, he's, from, he's risen from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and Jesus will come again. And his second coming will be the end of the chaos of this present age. So the argument here is that you need to persevere in your relationship with Jesus because you're living for something that hasn't arrived yet. You're living for a different way of life and a different age to come. Jesus is returning again. So what does perseverance look like? It means living your life like Jesus did. Instead of holding on to everything, be generous with others. Instead of trying to control things, put things in, under God's control. Instead of trying to, to make yourself look good, make yourself like a servant. That's what Jesus did. When your primary concern is yourself and how you're feeling and how you're looking, the chaos has already won. This is how the chaos overcomes you, as if it's all about you. But when you make your life all about the Lord and all about others, that's how you overcome the chaos. You fix your eyes on Jesus, and then you, you have the gift that comes from him through your perseverance. You have joyful confidence. See, the, the author here, he's warning people. He's saying, hey, look, it could go bad for you if you shrink back. If, you, if you're going to be the kind of person who says, you know what, I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens then actually that could be really dangerous for you because you're not persevering in knowing Jesus. But even though he gives this warning, he, sa he says, hey, but you're not going to be the people who shrink back. You're going to be the people who believe and are saved. You're not going to be the ones who shrink back. You're going to be the ones who believe and who are saved. And friends, I have confidence in us as well. We're not the kind of people who are going to shrink back and let the chaos overcome us. That's not who you are. You're not the kind of people who are controlled by your fear. 
And I say that in faith because God's spirit is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, his spirit is in you. And this, that means that the spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, which means fear and anxiety don't have the last word. And gosh, so many of us struggle with fear and anxiety. It's just a normal part of life for many of us. But we're not the people who shrink back into our fear and our anxiety and are destroyed. No, we overcome by life in the spirit. Because God's spirit lives in us, we have faith and we're saved. Isn't that good news? Hopefully that's good news to you. Let's look at verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. There's a myth, and maybe you've heard this, there's a myth that faith means believing in something that's absurd. You guys have heard this before? That like, if it makes sense, it's not God. That faith means that you're kind of putting your trust in something that's crazy. I don't know if you heard this before. Nobody? Me? Just me? Okay, good, gotcha. There's this idea that it's not faith if it makes sense. But that's actually not what the writer of Hebrews believes. And that's not what's true. The words here for confidence and assurance have this idea of something that's firm and solid and proven. Something that's actually been proven to us. Faith is something that you can, ha you can put trust in based on evidence. That might sound kind of controversial. Faith means that you can, you can put your trust in something that, where you have evidence for it. And the author actually gives an example here. He says, we have evidence for trusting in what we don't see because an invisible God made everything that's visible. He's saying, hey, look, you, you perceive things that are visible in the world, but we know that an invisible God made the visible world. Therefore, you have, you have the, the proof to trust in an invisible world. There is something that's invisible. He's saying, you know that God exists because, because, uh, because you see the visible world, and the visible world was caused by what is unseen. Moreover, there's good reason to believe that God exists, that God created the universe. The Big Bang happened somewhere around 15 billion years ago, and that was the beginning of space-time. That was the beginning of space-time. Uh, and it's absurd to believe that something physical caused the Big Bang, because the Big Bang is by definition the beginning of space-time. So whatever caused the Big Bang had to be non-physical by definition. Moreover, we know that everything that begins to exist has a cause, and the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And the cause of the universe has to be powerful enough to create a universe and has to be himself not visible and not spatial. And that's God. Let's skip down to verse 8. The author is going to give us a story of what it means to have the kind of faith that overcomes chaos. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking, to, uh, looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The author here, he brings us to the story of someone who is a hero of faith to the original listeners. This is Abraham. The, 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 the one we learned about in the story tonight, uh, in the kid's story. He's the patriarch of the Jewish people. And he was called by an unseen God to a land that he had never seen before. 
And he, he had a promise that his family would be a blessing to all nations, that through his family, all people would be blessed. And of course, this promise is fulfilled in Jesus, who was a son of the Jewish people, who is the Messiah and the Savior of all who would call on him, Jew and Gentile. But think about how chaotic this would have felt for Abraham. Abraham lived chaos. He has God who comes to him and say, hey, leave everything you know and go to a land that I'll show you. <laughs> a land that you've never seen before. I'll show it to you once you go. <laughs> That's incredibly chaotic. Moreover, Abraham is so old that he's as good as dead. He's decades past childbearing age. And he says, and you're going to have a son. And through your family, all peoples will be blessed. And by the way, there's going to be multitudes of them that you couldn't even count. Talk about living in chaos. You get that kind of promise from God. He goes and lives in tents. He's a stranger in foreign lands. And he's hoping that someday God's going to establish not a bunch of people living in tents, but a city where all nations will be blessed. And this is something that's really good for us to keep in mind. In the middle of our chaotic present moment is that this land is not ours. This isn't our home. This isn't where we belong. <laughs> that we're looking forward to something that's different and lasting and more beautiful than what our country has to offer. I hope this is helpful for you because if you feel let down by our government, if you feel let down by our culture, it's good for us to know, hey, we're foreigners here in a very real way. We belong to the kingdom of God, not just to the United States of America. And so in the middle of chaos where government lets you down, we can realize, hey, look, this land isn't ours. We're looking forward to something that's bigger and more lasting. Now, that, just doesn't, that doesn't mean that you stop caring about the problems of our time. We need to advocate for the poor. We need to advocate for racial reconciliation. And we need to vote for godliness among our leaders. We need to be people who care very deeply about the land that we live in. But we also don't need to be anxious about the land that we live in. Because we're looking forward to something that's more beautiful and more lasting. We're looking forward to the age to come. Look at verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. We now read about Abraham, or about Sarah, Abraham's wife. She's a hero of faith. Think of how chaotic her world was. Her husband says, hey, we're leaving and we're going to a land that we don't know. And by the way, even though you're decades past childbearing age, you're going to have a son. Think of that chaos that she lived in. But she trusted in God's, in God's word and she wasn't overwhelmed by the chaos. And that's how she conceived a child who would carry the promise that their family would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and would be a blessing to all nations on earth. Abraham and Sarah were, ch were past childbearing by decades. But God used their faith to do miracles. God uses faith to do miracles. God can use your faith, even if it's meager, like mine sometimes is. And he can use that to do miracles. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, 
They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people, people who live by faith, they don't see it all come together. And my guess is that for us, we're not going to see it all come together unless the Lord returns in our lifetime. We're not going to see it all be like perfectly worked out in this present age. They only saw glimpses here. And in some very real ways, we see glimpses of this. But they overcame the chaos because they trusted in God. They overcame the chaos because they trusted in God. They knew that this world could not satisfy them. Having a country, having a stable home, having wealth in the bank, these things can't satisfy. People of faith are always looking to make this world a better place, but they don't look to this world for their hope. They put their hope in something that's greater than this world. That's how we overcome the chaos, friends. This world is not the goal. Having a lot of things isn't the goal. Having a great relationship with another person just isn't the goal. Knowing God is the goal. And Jesus said that if you, if you are willing to lose all things, then God will give you all things. If you're willing to lay down everything, that's how God blesses you. And that's the way of the kingdom of God. The goal isn't this life in this present age. It's the Lord. I wonder sometimes if we're frustrated, and by we I mean me too, if we're frustrated and anxious and lost because we don't have the right goals. But the good news for you, the good news for me, is that instead of building your own little kingdom, God is building a kingdom for you. God's building you a house, a house of peace. He's preparing for you a place of comfort, and he's getting ready to give you a life of blessing. He's building a city for you that's a city of healing. And it's for you, and it's for the nations. And you overcome the chaos when you stop building your own future, and you start building the kingdom of God. When you start dedicating your life to God's authority and his will. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about chaos in the world right now. That's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. But before we, we go any further, we need to know that the antidote to chaos is knowing Jesus. It's putting our trust in Jesus. Jesus wants to meet you. The antidote to chaos is knowing him, and it produces great joy. So we're going to come to the close of our service. We're going to receive communion here in just a minute, and we're going to have a, a prayer for a couple of folks from Hope Denver and after that. But just right now, um, and it's okay that things are distracting. There's children, and we love them, and somebody's mowing their lawn in the middle of the sermon, and that's just wonderful. But as best as you can, could you like take a, take a minute and try to just kind of open your heart to God? Maybe you close your eyes right now, and if you feel comfortable, maybe just open a hand or two before the Lord. And I just wanted to, to ask you this. Is God calling you to a new season of faith? in the middle of a season of chaos. Do you hear God kind of tugging on your heart? Do you hear him kind of saying, hey, I'm here. I want you. And he's kind of tugging on you a little bit. I want to ask you, are you, are you going through a challenge in your life right now? Maybe imagine that challenge just sitting in your hands. 
It's a place where you need to trust God. You have something that's really up in the air in your life, and you need to trust God with it. Just imagine that challenge being in your hands before him and say, okay, God, I want to trust you with this challenge in my life. Maybe right now you, you have a place where you know that God is saying, hey, I want you to obey me. And you know what God's saying to you. You know he's told you about this before, but he's calling this to your attention right now. He's saying, hey, I want you to obey me. Maybe just imagine that issue in your hands before him. Say, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to step out. I want to obey you. Maybe some of you, you have a wound tonight. If you have a wound, I want you to just open up your hands before God and say, God, I have this wound in my life and I need your healing. Just imagine that, that hurt before God. And he doesn't look at you with eyes of judgment. He looks at you with eyes of love and affection, with the eyes of a doctor who knows how to heal, who has compassion. He says, yeah, I want to help you. I want to heal you. At Hope Denver, we believe that God speaks to people even today. And today the Lord spoke to me that today is a day to raise up empty hands of faith to him. You don't have anything to bring before God except for empty hands. You can't be good enough and I can't be good enough and God doesn't want you to try. He just wants you. So just right now, open up empty hands before him and say, God, I'm open to you. I'm open to you. It's a myth that you're not good enough if you don't have something to give. That's a myth. In God's family, you show up with nothing. All you bring is emptiness and that's where God fills you. So let's raise up empty hands to him today. Say, yes, God. I accept my healing. Or you say, yes, God, I accept this direction for my life. Yes, God, I accept this call to obey you. And just take a moment with him and let's respond to him in prayer. Just say, God, I'm open to you and I want to follow you. Maybe repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I open my heart to you today. And I don't have anything to bring except for myself. My hands are empty. Fill them with your love. Where I lack faith, fill me up with faith. Where I'm sick, give me healing. For my worries, give me confidence. And for my fears, give me strength and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.